This is All India Radio. In the program Spotlight, now we bring you a discussion on Supreme Court verdict on Ayodhya case. The participants are J. Sai Deepak, advocate and Satya Prakash, journalist. In a historic verdict, the Supreme Court has paved the way for construction of a Ram Temple at Ayodhya. A five-judge constitution bench headed by Chief Justice of India Ranjan Gogai delivered a verdict this morning unanimously in which the court simply said that this issue has to be decided on the basis of secular principles or constitutional principles and the court also refused to be drawn into theological debate. Mr. Sai Deepak, how important is this verdict given the fact that this issue has been dragging on for several centuries and uh, in the Supreme Court itself, the matter was pending since uh, 2010? Looking at it from a civilizational perspective, I think this is the beginning of a new chapter as far as India is concerned. And the fact that this particular beginning has been made through a verdict of the Supreme Court, the highest court of the country, I think augurs well for the country. Of course, the Allahabad High Court certainly paved the way for it in 2010. But in principle, the Supreme Court has largely agreed with the principles which were distilled by the Allahabad High Court. Therefore, I think this is a fantastic outcome as far as uh, Legal jurisprudence is concerned, religious harmony is concerned, civilizational rights are concerned, the rights of indigenous communities are concerned, and this could potentially pave the way for truth and reconciliation, and I think it's a template that is worth following. And this could perhaps inspire the government and should inspire the government in setting up a commission for truth and reconciliation so that these matters can be handled outside the court in less adversarial fora if possible through discussion, through mediation, through reconciliation of history. That's something that the government should look into. If I may ask you, what are the key findings of this verdict? Because uh, there were three main parties, Ram Lala Virazman, Nirmohi Akhara, which was uh, claiming the right as a manager, Sabait rights, and uh, the UP Central Sunni Work Board. So what are the key findings? So I think it would help to compare and contrast the findings of the Allahabad High Court with the Supreme Court so that people get a clearer perspective of what exactly was happening there. So the key parties here would be Sri Gopal Visharat of the Hindu Mahasabha who asserted his right to pray as a Hindu and as a Ram Bhakt who instituted his suit in 1950 even before the constitution came into being. Suit number one. Followed by a second suit which was of course it was subsequently withdrawn so we need not get into it. Suit number three is the suit filed by the Nirmohi Akhara asserting the right as the sevayas of the priests of the particular temple therefore the right to manage the particular temple followed by the Sunni Waqf board which was suit number four followed by the deity himself, Ramlala Virajman, which is suit number five. Now, what has happened before the Allahabad High Court in the verdict of 30th of September 2010 is the court has to try and ask itself whether the rights of the Hindu party seeking both title as well as the right to pray is better than the right of the Muslim party, which is asserting two mutually destructive arguments, which is one, either title or adverse possession. And the Allahabad High Court came to the conclusion that the Muslim side had failed to establish its case on the basis of documents as far as title itself is concerned, and uh, they could not even establish the case of adverse possession because the threshold of adverse possession under the law is fairly high, wherein you have to establish that during the entire duration of your possession of the particular property in adverse possession, there was never a contest to your possession by the opposite party. That means you were in peaceful enjoyment of it. Here it was always contested. And it was always contested. Every Ram Navmi proved to be a point of contest and every religious occasion which is close to the hearts of Hindus proved to be a point of contention. Therefore, they were never in peaceful enjoyment of the place ever since Mir Baki built that disputed structure. So I think that is the position that even the Supreme Court has ultimately endorsed, which is to say that as far as the outer courtyard of the disputed structure is concerned, the Hindus have established an uninterrupted and continuous enjoyment through their act of worship 
which is where the act of faith becomes relevant. Two, as far as the courtyard is concerned, the Muslim side has failed to establish its exclusive possession of that particular area in adverse possession, at least since 1857. Therefore, they have not been in a position to make good their case of adverse possession. So, on the basis of this, the court has actually come to the conclusion that effectively, the party which has managed to prove through scientific evidence, which is the ASI report, that there existed a non-Islamic structure underneath the disputed structure, proves that there was a structure which is temple in nature, and uh, the subsequent structure was not explained away, either through peaceful construction or that it was handed over to them. In fact, the court has come to the conclusion that disputed structure was not built on plain land. Therefore, yes. it was not as if vacant land was available for them to build the structure. Therefore, something should have happened, something ought to have happened. And this corroborates the position of the Hindu side that this was only built upon demolition of the previous structure. That's a different thing that uh, the court, or rather the ASI, could not conclude that the temple was destroyed to build the mosque. I think we need to understand what was the scope of the mandate given to the Archaeological Survey of India. So, they are not historians from that standpoint where they are expected to add value in terms of the sequence of events that could have led to the demolition or the destruction or any activity. Their primary mandate was to verify whether or not there exists a structure underneath the disputed structure. Because until this particular excavation was directed by the Allahabad High Court, it was the contention of the other side, including so-called eminent historians, that there is no temple underneath it at all and that this particular mosque was built on plain land. This was their structure. That was the original goalpost. Once the excavation started and layers and layers of temples came to existence and came to fore, that is when they decided to shift the goalpost. That no, there may have existed something, but you still can't prove that it was demolished subsequent or the construction of this disputed structure was only subsequent to demolition. So there was a consistent shifting of goalposts. Once that bluff was called out, that's when they decided to come up with a new argument. So as far as I am concerned, the ASI's report is not meant to comment on demolition. It is meant to comment on the existence of a structure underneath the disputed structure. Coming back to the main findings of this court or main directions of the, the court has by a unanimous verdict, all five judges, they said uh, they have rather ruled in favor of uh, the DT, it is Ramlala. One second, they have said that the entire land has to be given to a trust be set up by the central government in the right. next uh, three months. Third, uh, they have also said that the Sunni work board has to be given five-acre land in Ayodhya where uh, they can build a mosque. And then the court has also accommodated Nirmohi Akhara, which had claimed Sabayat rights, that they should be given a place in the proposed trust. So, in a way, the court has tried to give something to all the parties. It's not that generally in title suits, either you lose or you win. Here, the parties which could not prove their title, they also managed to get something. Do you think this is aimed at creating some sort of communal harmony? I think uh, people who call themselves constitutional patriots must have a serious problem with the judgment because the court has gone beyond the strict confines of the powers that can be exercised in a civil suit in granting five acres to a party, which has lost. The court has used its power under Article, Article 142. So the question is, can Article 142 be used to the extent of giving a party which has lost or which has failed to prove its case another piece of land? According to me, some kind of a compensation, some kind of a balancing that the court is attempting. Now, whether Article 142 allows and was meant to actually devise these kind of solutions is what I think the court must ask itself. Be that as it may, I understand that given the extraordinary nature of the case and given that this has been an issue that's been festering for centuries, if not decades alone, the court has deemed it fit to do something which allows or which uh, mollifies and assuages certain sentiments. Secondly, as far as the Nirmoya Akhada is concerned, I don't think the court has addressed their sentiments out of the way because as priests, 
under traditional community management structures, they have a place as far as the administration of the future temple is concerned or of the existing temple is concerned. Therefore, they have a right to be a part of the trust. That much is there. The question is, while the government has been given the task of, of forming a trust, does it mean that the government or state appointees themselves can be part of the trust? That's a question that needs to be addressed separately. That is because there is a separate issue, entire uh, temples being managed by the government. How good it is for religion, how good it is for the state system, or separation between the state and religion? We have to follow two or three principles, and I think the argument flows as follows. One, India has a very clear civilizational identity, which the constitution itself recognizes. However, the structure of administration that is being followed today is not the same as the Raj Dharm that was being followed before. Therefore, the right of Pradhan Seva or any right that the king may have enjoyed with respect to the temple cannot be the same rights that the modern, secular, constitutional, democratic, republic, Indian state can enjoy with respect to the temple. So that's point number one. Point number two, considering that the state seems to be extremely conscious of staying away from certain kind of politics or it wants to certainly not associate itself with whatever identity, it should stay away from the administration of Hindu temples as well. That is my clear belief. And that would be consistent with the autonomy that has been granted to religious communities as part of both Articles 25 and 26 to be able to manage their own institutions and their own religious affairs. So, the government's limited task here was to represent its limited position because the land in question fell within the government's land thanks to certain ordinances and legislations as far as Ayodhya is concerned. You're talking about uh, Narsimharo government exactly. which had acquired the land and, and in Ismail Farooqi's case, the Supreme Court had appealed okay, the So, as far as that particular issue is concerned, that is where the limited role of the government is so that the government has the power to implement any verdict that follows from the Supreme Court. That was the intention behind the legislation. But it was never the intention of any legislation to allow the government to entrance itself in the management of the temple itself. And I don't think we should even presume that the government wants to do so, because we know for a fact that a mixture of politics and religion has not necessarily played itself out to the benefit of a lot of communities in India. So the better thing would be that considering the sensitivity of this particular temple, this particular issue, it's best that the government stays outside its management and allows the community to manage it itself. One of the issues uh, argued during the case was that whether Ram Lala is a juristic person, second, there was uh, argument that the Janmasthan itself is a juristic person and the court has held that Ram Lala is a juristic person, Ram Janmasthan is not. So how do you see this? Because the court said the second proposition was a problematic proposition because simply because of somebody's faith mm -hmm. or some people's faith, you will be ousting somebody's statutory or other rights to that particular piece of land. Actually, the argument must be seen in the context of the question that has come from the court, which is, please identify for us as to which is that exact spot under the dome of the pre-existing structure where Ram Lala was born, and how do you establish that? Now, that question, according to me, itself has a, a deeply problematic tone to it, because then you're effectively calling into question the faith and the belief of certain people. So, in response to which, I think it was Sri K. Parasaran who pointed out that no scripture says this is the exact specific inch or square meter where Ram Lala was born, but this is the general area where he was born, and considering that this has been associated with his birth for millennia, if not centuries, therefore, it is important to treat the place as a whole, because under Hindu belief, even if a certain saint has lived in a certain place, then you try and give that place a certain level of sanctity. So, for instance, it's not just where Bapu lived, but the entire Sabarmati Ashram that has been given a certain place of respect. 
Similarly, as far as the religious place of worship is concerned, the entire Kshetra must be given a certain place of respect and therefore it must be treated as a deity in itself because the belief is that the Kshetra has an energy itself. That is the Hindu belief. Now, the Supreme Court has rejected this particular argument as a different issue, but I am grateful and thankful and seriously relieved that the Supreme Court has at least recognized the right of a deity as a juristic person uh, to hold property, to wield property, to defend property. And I would assume that this would also extend to other forms of rights under the Constitution. One of the uh, issues that court dealt with was the issue of theology. And the court has refused to be drawn into theology. If I may quote one particular paragraph, the court said, It is inappropriate for this court to enter upon an area of theology and to assume the role of an interpreter of the Hadith. And the court also said that as a secular institution set up under the constitutional regime, it must steer clear from choosing one among many possible interpretations of theological doctrine and must defer to the safer course of accepting the faith and belief of the worshippers. How do you see this contrast? Actually, slightly bemused at this particular observation because I'd like to see how the court will then justify its application of the essential religious practices doctrine in future matters. Because the very idea of distilling that particular principle is that the court shall be the final repository of what constitutes an essential religious practice as far as a particular religious place or a tradition is concerned. Let's hope that uh, after this verdict, this vexed issue will be solved and uh, people will live in harmony and peace forever. I certainly assume that would happen. Thank you. Thank you. You are listening to a discussion on Supreme Court verdict on Ayodhya case. The participants were J. Sai Deepak, advocate and Satya Prakash, journalist. This program was produced and presented by the News Services Division of All India Radio. This program is also available on our website newsonair.com. You can also follow us on the News on AIR app for updates. You may email your opinion about this program at airnsdtalks at gmail.com.